Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio, where we'll talk about news, education, and opportunities for small businesses on the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street and in Washington, D.C. I'm Michelle Yancey. And I'm Kyle Todd. Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Today we are joined by Dr. Kassam, one of the partners of Mint Dental located on Rhode Island Avenue. Welcome, Dr. Kassam. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, we were supposed to be joined by Dr. Bradshaw as well, her partner, but he is out on an emergency call. So he may or may not join us today, but we are so glad to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes. So tell me, once you realized you were interested in healthcare, what made you choose the dental field? a really interesting question. Um, Some of my patients ask me that all the time, and it's kind of long-winded, but it's completely worth it. Um, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was in middle school, and then I realized how competitive it was and that I would probably never get into space or do anything anything like that. So I started, um, I told myself I had to get my life together, and I was probably about 12 at that point. Okay. (laughs) I said, that's it. I need to figure it out. What's going to happen? What's my 40-year plan? And so um, between ninth and 10th grade, I set up about a dozen internships in local offices. And I knew I wanted to kind of be in my own and and take care of myself and be very self-sufficient. And I knew that I couldn't really have like a boss, 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 because I wanted to kind of dictate what I wanted to do. So I, and there was about a dozen of them. So the first one was a medical doctor, and the second one was an architect, and the third one was a lawyer. And I did them for two weeks each because the first week it's always sunshine and butterflies. And then the second week you really realize if people are satisfied in their job, what they're doing, what impact they're having on the community. And so the fourth one was a dentist. And after I finished the two weeks with them, I called the rest and canceled. And I was done. And so after that, I started taking night classes to be a dental assistant because I knew that's what I wanted to do. In high school? In high school. Wow. So it was, you know, 7 to 5 at school, and then after that was, was dental assisting school. And I became a certified dental assistant after that. So throughout undergrad, throughout grad school, it was always dentistry, and it just I just stayed as focused as I possibly could on that. Wow, that's a very interesting <laughs> story, certainly. So where did you go to dental school? I went to Howard. Ah, a local girl. Yes, I went right to around Howard the corner. as well. Yes. <laughs> So Dr. Bradshaw has finished with his emergency. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Bradshaw. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Dr. Kassam was just about to um, tell us a little bit about Ment Dental, so maybe you all can tell us what makes Ment Dental different from other dental practices. Certainly. Uh, Well, Ment Dental was founded on the principle of uh, serving the needs of the community, uh, serving those who need and want our help. Um, We are... uh, very new doctors, uh, being out of school since 2009 and 2013. Uh, We use the latest technology, uh, and we're able to serve our patients in a way that perhaps some other dentists uh, are not able to uh, through the use of technology, through the advanced techniques that we use. I was actually going to ask if you all offered any unique services or technology. Maybe you all could tell us about some of this uh, new technology that other dentists don't necessarily use. Yes, so um, we actually just got a new machine. It's called a CEREC, and instead of doing the traditional way of crowns, which was you prepare the crown, you take an impression, it's goopy, you have a temporary crown made, and it's rough, and it's uncomfortable, and then you have to have that temporary crown in your mouth for about three weeks while the lab 
outside of the office makes this crown, which is usually a porcelain fused to metal crown um, that's not the most aesthetically pleasing, we decided to bring the technology to the office. And so now what we do is we prepare the crown, we scan the mouth. So it's actually a, a scanner, basically. So instead of doing that, that impression material, it's just a wand that goes in the mouth. We scan, we scan the tooth, we scan the opposing arch, we scan your bite, and then you actually get to see your crown being made on site that same day. So you get your permanent crown on the same day that you have the crown preparation. There's Without no temporary, the temporary crown, crown. <laughs> there's no discomfort, and we're able to deliver it right then and see the immediate results. That's wonderful. That's exciting. Do you all offer other dental services um, outside of crowns, just generic dental services? Absolutely. We, we do almost everything in the office. So we do ortho, we do root canals, we do regular oh, general so you don't have dental. To send people out to see an orthodontist. Unless it's a that. very complicated case, we can do it in-house. Oh, that's great. We do extractions. We'll do regular fillings, cleanings, preventative maintenance, you name it, we will usually have the services in-house. Perfect. So do either of you have a philosophy on how oral health relates to overall body health, Dr. Bradshaw? Certainly. Well, you can't separate the head from the rest of the body. Um, so there are uh, several instances where systemic diseases will first manifest in the mouth. Right. And when we do our oral exams and our screenings, uh, we're able to identify some things that may be systemic problems and advise patients uh, when's the last time you've seen a physician, when's the last time you've had a checkup uh, on uh, complete uh, physical health. Um, and it, it, there, are, there are often times where um, patients will come back and say, thank you, I didn't know I had high blood pressure. Thank you, I didn't know that I was pre-diabetic or in the first stage of diabetes. Uh, so we catch uh, a lot of things other than just cavities. That's great. So as you all are aware, having been in the dental field, you since your teenage years, you got <laughs> excited about it. Many people are afraid to go to the dentist. How do you all deal with that in uh, your practice? I'm sure there are children as well as adults. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll talk about our adult patients, and we have had several instances where uh, patients will come and say, uh, I hate the dentist, mm -hmm. uh, or I'm scared to death. And uh, I try to lay those fears and say, you know, I'm just a regular guy, and we're just here having a conversation. Uh, I'm going to tell you everything that I do. Uh, I'll let you know what's going on. And then I'll present to you on this television screen in front of you everything that I see in the x-rays and the intraoral photographs that we take. Uh, then we have a discussion about uh, just education. And uh, that's all we want to do is we want to educate the patient uh, so that patients can make an informed decision. So um, I'll talk more on the, on the child. So my residency program was half of the year at a children's hospital oh. and four months at the VA and then two months on external rotations. So I was definitely trained with a lot of um, high anxiety, high um, sound and noise, noise with the kids and all that um, environments. And so... Really, we, we have also um, things in the office that help patients when they are very anxious. So we, we do provide nitrous or, or laughing gas, more commonly known. We do have oral sedation techniques, so we will prescribe that as well if that's necessary, when treatment is necessary. Um, and Dr. Bradshaw and I both have very, very personable personalities. We're, we're not the average dentist that we've grown up with. Mm -hmm. So we like to have a conversation. We like to inform and educate. 
and our comprehensive exams for that reason are quite in-depth. Not only do we do the x-rays and the clinical exam, but we also take pictures in your mouth. So we have intraoral cameras which will take pictures in your mouth that will project onto the screen to explain everything that's going on in the mouth and what we're seeing so that the patient knows it's not just, hey, you have a cavity and this is what it is, but here, look, we'll show you this cavity. We'll show you what's happening, what the progression is with this cavity. And then lastly, we check the bone level. And based on that, we determine what kind of cleaning that patient needs. So it's a very comprehensive, very educational first, first appointment for a patient. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. So going to the dentist is also very expensive sometimes. Do either of you, are uh, either of you involved in any community service related to dentistry? Well, um, I'm a member of uh, Greater Mount Calvary, which is uh, right across the street from our practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and every year or every other year, uh, depending on, on their uh, health committee, there are uh, opportunities for community service where there are health, screen health screenings, uh, dental screenings. Um, we've gone out into the community and uh, talked with uh, Edgewood uh, Community Civic Association. Uh, we've talked with the Eckington uh, Civic Association. Um, so we, we are uh, making ourselves known. We're, we're uh, attempting to have a presence. Uh, I'm currently uh, working under a grant at Howard University uh, that serves D.C. public schools. Uh, so every week uh, I go to Dunbar High School uh, and I provide dental services under this grant through Howard University for the, the students there. Um, and we don't charge the students at That's all. That's terrific. So we, we are uh, giving back in multiple ways. Sounds good. We're also very, very aware of how financially straining dental work can be. Mm -hmm. And it's also very important to note that if you don't get this work done, all of the physical and, and bodily harm you can cause. Um, for that reason, we have an in-house membership program. And that membership program gives the patients a little bit of a chance to not, not spend that whole amount out of pocket. For that membership program, you actually get... 30% um, off of the services that we provide for those, for those patients that don't have insurance or don't have coverage or don't have dental coverage. Right, right. So y your office does accept most insurances? We accept all major PPOs. That's great. And where exactly is Mint Dental located on the avenue? We're at 329 Rhode Island Avenue, Suite A, which is exactly at the corner of 4th and Rhode Island. That's great. What are your normal business hours? I was going to ask if you all had emergency <laughs> hours, but clearly you do because you had an emergency today. So what are the normal hours and what are the emergency hours? Sure. Uh, our business hours are Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., and Friday and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Um, there are instances where uh, our patients have our cell phone numbers, uh, and if they're a patient of record, of course, then they can give us a call and say, I've got an issue. Can, can we be seen? Can I be seen? Wow, I um, can't get in touch with my dentist after hours. <laughs> that's, that's good uh, to know. We, we've, uh, we've actually seen patients uh, before on a Sunday um, where we've received a message either through uh, voicemail or social media or through our email address that we give out to everyone. Uh, and we accommodate those patients. We, we check our email all the time. We check out our social media all the time. And, of course, we, we listen to our voicemails and answer calls. So tell our listeners where they can find out more about Ment Dental through social media. 
So we have a Facebook page, and you can look us up on Mint Dental DC. We also have a Twitter, so we're constantly tweeting things. Um, and you can always go on our website, so www.mintdentaldc.com. In fact, you can go on the website, you can learn about us, learn about our procedures, and also book your appointment online. So you don't have to call in, you can just click the book an appointment tab, book an appointment. You'll see all of our, our available times and when we're available, on what dates, and you can even pick your provider at that time. That's great, and it's the two of you right now. There's the two of us, and we have Dr. Valle, who is an associate. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And I have one other question about Mint Dental. I know that you're a new business, but do you foresee any upcoming changes in the next year or two that you might want to share with us? Um, I think we're, we're always striving um, to, to do better, to provide even better service to our patients. I know that in the coming year, we'll be adding more technology to the office. We would love to have more providers, more availability for patients. So it's we're we're ever evolving, ever growing, and um, we would love to hear you know what what ideas patients have for us as well to to provide those services to them. That sounds terrific. Well, Dr. Bradshaw, Dr. Kassam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Our next guest is Priya Benedapur from Vibrant Streets. Um, and welcome, Priya. Thanks, Kyle. So, Vibrant Streets, uh, in full disclosure, uh, Rhode Island Avenue, Friends of Rhode Island Avenue went through the D.C. Uh, Vibrant Retail Streets program, which is, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, and it was incredibly beneficial to us. I'm not going to spend this whole time talking about how wonderful we are, thanks to the Vibrant Streets program, but we'll, we'll throw that in later on. Uh, but for now... Um, Give me uh, a little 30,000-foot view of, of what Vibrant Streets is. Oh, man, quite the task. Um, so Vibrant Streets is a program that began in April of 2012. Um, it came out of a partnership with the D.C. Office of Planning. Um, and we are a program that helps retail corridors revitalize um, the retail on their streets. So we work with community members, work with retailers, with bids, um, you name it. Anyone who has a direct connection or is impacted by the main street in their neighborhood. Therefore, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the, the main commercial corridor. Exactly. And, uh, and Vibrant Streets is, is, is more than, than just a... Uh, theory. Mm -hmm. It's uh, there was a lot of research that went in into creating this uh, vibrant streets toolkit. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so uh, what I remember is that uh, that the team, your team, looked at um, so-called vibrant streets all over the world, That's such as exactly right, yeah. Um, streets from cities ranging from Seattle to Paris to London to D.C. To so like Champs-Élysées in Paris. Exactly, yeah. I'm murdering the, the French uh, <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah, I try to avoid saying that one because <laughs> I know I'll get it wrong. <laughs> it's just the one that pops my mind. Uh, the, 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 that major corridor in Chicago, the mm -hmm. Miracle Mile. No, that's someplace else. Anyway, uh, so you, you were looking at just really um, vibrant, retail corridors yes, across examples the world. of that yeah across the world and we looked at um 
51, 52 factors that these streets all seem to embody, and then we boiled that down into the eight-step toolkit. Um, and you're right that it's not just a methodology or a theory, but it is a toolkit which provides implementable action items that uh, community members and bids and retailers can take together. Um, we also provide technical assistance for those neighborhoods um, or for those groups that come together. Um, and we write publications, so the toolkit is one, but then we also write um, other documents that help communities um, form better retail. We help them figure out what's missing um, and what they can do to improve their retail streets. Great, great. Um, can we talk a little bit about what those eight steps are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it starts with forming um, a community group. So it starts with the step managed. Managed. Yeah. Um, and so that is figuring out who needs to be a part of this process to make your retail street vibrant. Um, so that uh, that could be either at the municipal level or um, a, a single uh, or a, a, a property owner that has a large block of, of uh, properties or exactly um, or a Main Street program right exactly okay. um, so it helps you uh, figure figure out from both a municipal or local community level who needs to be involved um, so oftentimes it is retailers um, it's property managers it's um, if there's a bid already in place, that's great. But if not, there is a way to um, to kind of form that together um, right. or put something in place that resembles that. So from from where we were uh, coming from, we were really just a bunch of neighbors that wanted something better but didn't know how to go about doing that. So we were really, really lucky to be included in, in the first round of, of the D.C. Vibrant Retail Streets program. And... My takeaway from the Vibrant Streets Toolkit was that it was uh, it was a really um, layman's introduction to uh, urban planning, and I don't want that I don't want that to sound more um, uh, watered down than it is. Right, right, right. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it, it it gave you know, me somebody that had uh, experience and knowledge of urban sustainability, but not a whole lot from the standpoint of, of retail development, um, commercial development, things like that. It gave me a really good sense of, well, what, what are retailers looking for when they're looking to move into an area? They're, they're exactly. looking for, for very specific things. Yeah, and we're not, we're not offended by that because that's exactly the goal, is that this toolkit is supposed to be approachable. It's supposed to be understood by the masses. Um, by people who do have an interest or maybe a background, but who have no idea how to start piecing this together. Right, right. Uh, we everybody wants um, everybody wants sit down restaurants in their neighborhood, but it could be that the, the the population density or the disposable income that's that type of information that you can get off of census um, uh, reports just wouldn't support wouldn't acknowledge a, a support of, of a restaurant in the neighborhood. Right. But then they don't even know, Some people sometimes don't even know how to find that information. They don't even know that it's publicly available. They don't know what to do with it. Uh, but the toolkit provides you those steps and those um, 
necessary action items so you can figure out the process of taking that research and that information and then using it to improve your street. And that's and what we're talking about now is kind of touching, seems like, on the second step. Right, uh, which is retail appropriate. All right, so tell us, tell us about retail appropriate. So retail appropriate is getting your street ready for um, acquiring retail. So it's making sure that you have um, adequate sidewalks that are taken care of, um, that aren't overgrown with weeds, that you have um, appropriate spaces. Um, so the spaces where a retailer would take over um, have the right ceiling heights and have um, – um, adequate storefront, transparent storefronts and um, windows that don't have broken glass and um, it's priming your street for retail. Gotcha. And that uh, that leads in then to the third step of mixed. Yeah, so mixed is figuring out what type of retail belongs on your street. Um, so looking at the market demand and then filling those holes with um, the correct type of retail that um, people need or want, N not necessarily want, but need on that street. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, retail appropriate. So uh, taking a hard look at the at the community to see what, if it's ready for retail, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, uh, and what type of retail fits in that community. So analyzing what kind of population you have, what they need, what, what missing teeth you have, um, meaning uh, what gaps can you fill. Right, right. It makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So, Rhode Island Avenue is not ready, say, for a Tiffany's jeweler. <laughs> well, we probably won't. Most ever. neighborhoods are not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we probably won't ever be. Uh, that's that's, and that's not even something that people are asking for. So that's right. not that's not an issue. But just as, as an example. But sometimes people do ask for things that don't make sense in the neighborhood, and so um, being able to show them the Vibrant Streets Toolkit and the process and helping them to understand. Like um, Heather's favorite example is that she would love to have an Ann Taylor in her basement, but um, <laughs> as much as she would like to fully support an Ann Taylor, her husband probably would not approve. Um, so, yeah, just figuring out what in your community can support um, those basic goods and necessities and how those can be filled first. And that is Heather Arnold. One of the founders yes. of the Vibrant Streets program. Exactly, yes. And she's the current director of research and analysis at Street Sense. Um, and I work very closely with her as the program manager for Vibrant Streets. We love we love Heather. Heather, we love you. <laughs> um, okay, so you've got you've got a managed uh, area, you've got you've determined whether or not it's retail appropriate. Mm -hmm. what's next? And then you look at mixed. So this flows very well from retail appropriate. Um, and so mixed is actually more figuring out what type of retail fits on your street, um, whereas retail appropriate is more getting your street ready for that retail. Um, so mixed is looking at the market demand, um, looking at the population, and figuring out what fits on that street. All right, all right. And, and so there's – Five more steps after that. Five more key <laughs> steps, and, and eight steps total. Eight steps total. Um, one of the one of the key things that that we learned from uh, from the Vibrant Streets program was, um, yes, there are there are eight steps, but the important thing is that they're done in order. Exactly. Yep. They're so not just thrown up there randomly. <clears throat> nope, they're not. Um, 
And we like to say that the first four steps are your foundational steps and you have to have those things in place. And then the next four are kind of the fun steps. Um, and so that's when you start to look at streetscape improvement programs, beautification things, um, figuring out brand or message for your street. And those things are all kind of fun and people like to jump to those things. But you can't put those, you can't start working on those until you've got the other four in place first. So when you looked at, at all of the retail streets, the, the vibrant streets across the, the world, and you, you looked at 52, 52 uh, uh, factors, and it was these eight factors that were consistent ac across, across the globe mm -hmm. in all of those, those very popular destinations. Yeah, exactly. What, uh, what do you think is... Um, what do you think is the hardest step to achieve for for up and coming neighborhoods for for neighborhoods uh, here in the DC area that that would be looking to use this? Um, if you don't already have a group or entity in place, I honestly think step number one is the hardest because that involves getting people um, to sign on to your vision and um, this process to be willing to come together and work together. Um, I mean, especially in D.C., a highly <laughs> politicized environment. I mean, it. I think it is actually very hard to um, bring people together to work together. And, I mean, I joke about D.C., but I think that that's true anywhere. Um, mm. People have their own agendas and kind of their own um, vision or desire for their, um, either for their retail property or for their street. Um, and so saying, let's all come together and, have a unified vision, I think, is um, really challenging. So, uh, yeah, I would probably say that first step. But once you get over that hump, if you have a collective entity um, or group working on the same thing, then right. yeah, uh, consensus is just elusive. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm a very wise woman. My wife uh, <laughs> said, um, told me one day. She said, you know, it's everybody is always fighting for a bigger piece of the pie and it's not about fighting for a bigger piece of the pie it's about just making a bigger pie and and i think if if everybody can can kind of wrap their heads around that idea which i think is brilliant um it, there there's room for everybody at the table in any type of absolutely of revitalization project um we we have uh, a goal to make sure that every business that is currently in business on Rhode Island Avenue, if they want to stay in business, we want to make sure that they have all the tools available to them to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, what they choose to do with those tools is up to them, but, but we want to make sure they have access to them. And, and a lot of the, the information that, that we have implemented, we absolutely got from this Vibrant Streets Toolkit. It's been incredibly valuable to us as an organization that's um, great we love hearing that <laughs> you, good job good job <laughs> and uh in office of planning uh the the dc uh, agency that that contracted with you guys for this um they've been fantastic as far as follow-up with us um and and really helping to to make sure that some of the the programs and projects that we identified to work on through through the vibrant streets processes actually coming to fruition um so we're very excited about that that's great yeah um 
so so what's next what's next so um as i mentioned the toolkit started in april of 2012 or that's really when vibrant streets started um and that was when we wrote the dc version of the toolkit and that's when we uh, worked with the first round of 11 neighborhoods in DC, um, worked with them on technical assistance and implementation. Um, and then last year we wrote the national version of the toolkit. And so that's kind of what we're um, building the program off of now. Um, so that's what's available for sale on the website. Um, and that's um, what we're doing further research from. So um, our next Big steps are starting our next round of work with the Office of Planning here in D.C. Ooh, um, can you talk about that? Um, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, so we'll be working with a new round of neighborhoods, um, probably six or seven, um, and doing similar work, just implementa implementation, um, technical assistance, and using the toolkit as our um, process and flowchart for everything. Um, and then, so that's already actually kicked off, but we're still kind of in the gearing up phase. Gotcha. Um, and then other than that, we're really working on broadening our reach as a national program. So, um, we've been in communication with some different cities across the country, um, whether it's providing just some, um, methodology or process um, help or more um, specific technical assistance work. Um, so it's exciting. We've got um, a lot of new things on the horizon. Um, we also are in the process of, um, we ha we've been hosting a series of forums over the past few months. So in the year of 2015, we're going to have series of four quarterly forums. Um, so we've already had two. The first one was in January on uh, storefront improvements. And then this last one in April, just a few weeks ago, was on streetscape design. Yes. Um, and so we've brought in some really knowledgeable, really great speakers. Um, our first speaker was our director of architecture at StreetSense. And then this past forum, we had um, Chris Shaheen from the DC Office of Planning and Colin Green from HOK. So, um, from, from where? HOK. HOK. Um, an architecture firm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we're really excited to have these experts come in and talk about um, kind of these big principles, but then also tie it back to the toolkit um, to help people understand um, how the two are related and how the toolkit really does tie into all areas of retail improvement. Um, and then, yeah, we've got the next one coming up. It'll be in September. Um, more details to come, but likely on um, retail, uh, bringing the right retail to your street and how that works. Oh, good, um, good, good, good. Yeah. yeah. So, so is that uh, the, these forums, is that what Learning Labs is, or is Learning Labs different? Um, yes, that is what Learning, what Lab learning is. Labs is. Okay. Yep, so on the website you can find, actually, we have um, – webinar versions of the forums posted under Learning Lab so people can download and view the forum if they weren't able to make it. Great, great. So uh, for, the, for the forums uh, in, in Learning Labs, who's your, who's your target audience? What, 
who can benefit the most from, from attending those? We've had everyone from bid managers to retailers, property managers, community members, architects, planners, designers, um, you name it. And that's the beauty of the toolkit is that it is applicable to such a broad range of people. We, we uh, really uh, tried to encourage our, our business owners and mm -hmm. commercial property owners to, yep. to uh, take a look at the, at the toolkit, not only the toolkit, but also, you know, hit some of your seminars. Uh, I think it's, it's really important for uh, businesses, particularly businesses that have been around for a while. And maybe it's time to, to give the, the, their facades a facelift or maybe reevaluate some of their marketing strategies. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important for them to, to, to hear, that, well, this is, this is the latest stuff on exactly, yeah. what you need to grow. Yep. as a business. And not only are the experts so knowledgeable and the content is really thorough, um, but we also have been fortunate to have really excellent sponsors for the last two forums who um, are really applicable to the topics and provide uh, the audience with some possible tools that they can use to implement these things on their street. Um, so, and the networking opportunities are great. You get to talk to um, people from other bids and ask them how they're doing it on their street and get ideas for yours. Yep, yep. And, and in, in the D.C. area, and I'm sure everywhere else, uh, in the D.C. area, networking is, man, we, we love to share stories. And um, I, I don't think that there's any, um, uh, any sense of, no, no, I'm not going to tell you what I've done because that's my, that's my secret weapon. No, every, everybody likes to, to share stories because we're, we are all about um, the Main Street model of rip off and duplicate. It's not the official Main Street model, <laughs> but, but we all, all, all the Main Street programs in, in the D.C. area, we, we say, yeah, rip off and duplicate. Be, you know, make, take what we've done. It was great for us. Make it your own. You know, we, we have no problem. The make here. it your own part is crucial there. <laughs> yes, make it your own. Yes, make yeah. it your own. Uh, but it's uh, it's been very successful across DC, and and um, and the and the vibrant streets toolkit is is just phenomenal. I love it. Uh, we we reference it at least at least once a week. We're we're flipping through the book <laughs> and saying, what did they say about this? Um, okay, so um, some more. Forums coming up in or for another forum coming up in September. Yep. Um, if if folks want to uh, find out more about the toolkit or maybe purchase the toolkit for use in their own area, um, how can they find you? Vibrantstreets.com. Vibrantstreets.com. The source of all information, and you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Vibrant Streets. You can find us on Facebook, Vibrant Streets. <laughs> We're pretty easy to find. Um, and yeah, you can find any information that you need on the website. All right. Well, thank you very much, Priya, for being here today. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, great information. And uh, be sure to look up Vibrant Streets, vibrantstreets.com. Thank you for joining us today. Please be sure to tune in to us next week where we'll be joined by Joe Andronico of Access Green. And Oramenta Newsom and Adam Kent from the Local Initiative Support Corporation. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, be sure and check us out on Facebook and Twitter, Rhode Island Avenue Radio. And uh, we'll see you next week.